As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. Whenever we see China in the news, it's normally for some impressive statistic about building stuff or how it's now home to the most millionaires in the world, or maybe it's even an article about whatever geopolitical tomfoolery they are pulling this week. But what is often forgotten amongst all of this is that behind the somewhat intimidating outward appearance of economic might and glistening skyscrapers, China is an extremely poor country. This almost sounds a bit paradoxical given the wealth that is so evident from the outside. Nevertheless, average incomes in China are still less than 15,000 US dollars per year, and that's average. So, in a nation that reports a Gini coefficient of 0.47, with some independent research noting that it could be as high as 0.73, that means that there are a lot of poor people at home in this economic miracle. In plain English, this means upwards of half a billion people in China are living on less than $10 per day, primarily those that are still living out in rural areas. Now this is a fact that is not lost on the Chinese government, who knows that a growing wealth divide in their workers' paradise is not a great look, especially if that divide is between the cities fueling growth and the farmers feeding them. This is why in just the last five years the government has poured the equivalent of over $800 billion into aid in areas where extreme poverty is still commonplace. This is to say nothing on state-owned enterprises which easily bring this running total to over a trillion dollars in the same time period. A trillion dollars in five years. That's more than the entire GDP of three quarters of the world's countries on a single welfare project. Even for a government as wealthy as China's, this is ultimately not sustainable. So a new solution was needed to make these systems more efficient at solving core issues rather than alleviating the symptoms with handfuls of cash. And there might be a lot to take away from what they have done, so as always we need to understand a few key things. How much poverty is there actually left in China? Why is this so difficult to measure? Why does China care so much? And how might cows be the solution to this whole problem? This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you would like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive Q&A sessions, which are now held every Saturday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, please consider supporting our channel at patreon.com slash economicsexplained. Now poverty is one of those things that is surprisingly hard to quantify, which is the first real issue for governments that are trying to address this issue. Incomes are the most used metric, and almost every statistic you've likely heard on the issue of poverty will say something like, these people live on less than $2 a day. And for what it's worth, we have done exactly the same thing already in this video. But there are two problems with this. The first is that some people can be extremely comfortable with not much income. Some retirees would be a great example of this. 
they might own their own home, fully paid off, and have a nice pile of cash savings, so they are very comfortable, but with interest rates as low as they are, they might technically have an income below this internationally accepted poverty line. An asset means test can address this situation, but then what if they own nothing and live with affluent children, as is commonplace in China? It's not impossible to work around, but it is difficult, meaning more money is going to go to auditors and government middlemen rather than the people who really need it, especially when we're talking about a population as large as China's with, let's be honest, a pinch of corruption. The second problem is purchasing power parity, or PPP. $20 per day in rural China, or most countries in Southeast Asia and Africa, would afford you a pretty comfortable lifestyle, but $20 per day in San Francisco, Sydney or London would pretty much make you destitute. It's for this reason that measures are put in place to address the relative purchasing power of a dollar in a region. For example, a week's worth of groceries might cost $5 in rural farming villages because the grocer's overheads are lower due to lower staff salaries, lower rent or cost to own a premises, lower transport costs on account of them being in and amongst where the food is made, and if we compare that to one of our ritzy global cities where even a similarly modest grocery trip would easily cost $50, you can see that a dollar in rural China has 10 times the purchasing power, so even if someone was to earn one tenth as much money, they could have a similar lifestyle, right? Well, yeah, that's the theory, but unfortunately it's a wildly outdated way of thinking, and here's why. While it's true that purchasing power parity can afford similar lifestyles in two totally isolated economic systems with two totally isolated sets of inputs and outputs, this is just not how the real world works in the age of globalization. Take something like a phone. These devices have changed the way that we live our lives and are incredible tools for communicating and having access to information wherever it is you go. What's more is that not having one of these devices is a serious handicap in the modern world. Not being able to access the internet to sell goods or discuss business deals or even order supplies makes it next to impossible to compete with people that do have phones. This is part of the reason why there are more people on earth with a smartphone than there are with flushing toilets. The thing is though, smartphones are expensive. Even to you or I, who statistically speaking is watching from a developed country, see purchasing a new phone as a pretty serious investment. To someone earning less than $10 a day, it's an investment that's almost impossible to make. Now phones are just one example. There are also things like electricity, medicine, farming equipment, fertilizers and clothing that have prices that aren't heavily influenced by where they are being purchased. Most of the cost of making medicine or personal care items isn't determined by its final retail location, so the low local overheads mean very little, and even if it did alter prices enough to make a difference, that discount wouldn't last for very long. People from cities would just come in and buy up these cheap imported items which would drive up demand and prices. If you don't believe that people would bother travelling this far to get these rather mundane items, go and try and buy a lip cream or baby formula in a pharmacy here in Sydney. Anyway, you get the idea. Poverty is extremely complicated and while there are blanket definitions like this general guide from the World Bank, there is no black and white, which means any solutions almost need to be expensive to cover everyone that might be in poverty or expensive to hire enough manpower to determine who truly is. Which puts us right back into a situation where a government like the CCP is piling hundreds of billions of dollars a year into a fundamentally unproductive area of their economy, which begs the question, why do they even bother?
It would be nice to imagine that governments around the world are trying to alleviate poverty because people suffering from hunger, poor living and untreated conditions is sad. Now in fairness, this is part of it. Governments are in one way or another beholden to their people and making sure these people are happy and healthy is part of their job. But in reality, poverty in China causes some much more immediate problems for the powers that be. The nation is heavily authoritarian, so personal liberties and freedoms are routinely infringed upon in ways that would not be tolerated in most Western nations. Now despite what a lot of outside observers may think, the people of China are not oblivious to this fact, but they don't really care, because this government, as strict as it is, has improved their lives drastically. This verges on sociology more so than economics, but multiple studies have shown that Chinese citizens have a lot more belief in their government to provide good outcomes, particularly economic outcomes. Most of the country has gone from living in mud huts to world class cities in a single lifetime, and if the price that they need to pay to do that was a VPN subscription, then so be it. But if it becomes obvious that the government can't provide this improvement to everyone, then one of their biggest redeeming factors becomes nullified in the public psyche. On top of this, it's just embarrassing. A big part of the reason we don't think of China as a place where poor people live anymore is because of how much effort the government has put into creating this outward appearance of grandeur. Look at how much money is spent on athletes and facilities to become a major sporting power, or how any foreign film that wants access to the Chinese box office has to present the country in a positive light. We gotta call the central government for help. And yes, even these amazing cities themselves are all in part to make the Chinese system look like a massive success. But all that hard work can just as quickly be undone by even the slightest blemishes of poverty showing. So then, how does China plan to fix this with cows? A major social program has been rolled out in some of China's poorest provinces, which is giving livestock to farmers which had previously been growing just vegetables. This has shown some amazing results which have been reported by the government as well as a host of independent media outlets. You see, this is almost like a nationwide adoption of the old saying, fish for a man and he will eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he will eat for life. Cows provide a great return on investment. They can eat food that is not suitable for human consumption while also providing milk, fertilizer, a workforce, more cows and, well, you know, a steak dinner. Of course, Mechanised farming will be more competitive on an open market, but these towns don't really care about that. These cows simply work as a way to boost extremely modest incomes. We have recently explored a proposal that would give every American a few thousand dollars worth of shares at birth in order to compound over their lifetime to then be used to fund their retirement. The core appeal of this scheme was that it shifted the burden of supporting an ageing population from the taxpayer to the financial markets. The system that has been adopted in China moves the burden from the taxpayer to a cow, which in this day may be a more stable investment. It also solves a lot of the distribution issues, because someone that doesn't necessarily need government support but is not going to say no to free money might say no to a cow living in their home. The fact that a cow is, you know, a cow means that it takes a lot of time and effort to get utility out of which means only those that are poor enough to really need the tiny amount of money to be made from raising a single cow will take up this offer. It also gives the people involved agency over their own destiny rather than waiting around for the next government handout. A report by the New York Times told a story of a poor potato farmer which had been part of this program. 
Jai Hun Wen was given a large cow that produced two healthy calves and provided dairy for himself and his extended family for three years. He later sold the cow for the equivalent of 2,900 American dollars, which was more than he would normally make in two years of growing potatoes. He plans to repeat this process with the two new cows. The money he made was put to use to buy medicine for his arthritic knee, as well as buy more vegetables for him and his family in the local market. It was the best cow I ever had, Mr. Jai said. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon, so if you enjoy these videos, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys, bye.